Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for have given us today, and thank you for bringing us all here safely and just giving us this opportunity uh, to gather together and worship you and study your word. And you with Pastor Jesse and give him the words to speak tonight, and just in prayer, amen. All right. Does everybody have a Bible tonight? If you don't, there's a whole stack of them on the back table right there. Go grab one of those blue books. We are going to continue. Can y'all tell me what book we've been in? Galatians. Galatians. Yeah, I say it should be on the screen. We try to make it pretty easy on you. Um, so before we jump into what we're going to look at tonight, um, by show of hands, I don't want to hear names. I don't want to hear stories right now. I love you, but we don't have time for all of that. But who here has ever encountered someone that you would say was two-faced? Okay, that's, that's a lot of hands going up. Okay, so let me ask you then. Now here's where I do want answers. What makes somebody two-faced? Laura. Okay, she said they act one way to your face, they act completely different behind your back. You got something different, Avery? Dishonesty, okay. Is, is that pretty much, can everybody agree with that? It's somebody that's dishonest. They are one way with you, but they are a different way behind your back. Do you all like people in your life that are two-faced? No. I don't, I don't think anybody does. And, and hey, hey, I'm not casting blame here, but when I ask the question, do you know anybody in your life that's been two-faced and you couldn't think of anybody? Make sure you're not the one that other people are thinking of, okay? Uh, it, not, not, stop. That's, I don't want names. Stop it. <laughs> I don't want that. Here's the reason I ask you that. is because when you have people in your life that are two-faced, at some point in time, they're going to hurt you. Because they're going to say one thing to your face, they're going to act differently behind your back, and at some point, that's going to get back to you, and that's going to be hurtful, that's going to be painful, and none of us like that. So our goal is to not be someone that is two-faced. But the challenge that we have, something that is even, even more difficult for every single person that claims to be a Christian, is every single person in this room tonight who says, I'm a disciple of Jesus, I follow him with my life, you have an even greater possibility of being two-faced. Did you know that? Because what Scripture talks about, and Paul talks about it over and over, he talks about this war between the flesh and the spirit, the things that we want to do naturally because it's who we are, it's, it's what our sin nature craves, and the things that God tries to get us to do, the things that are going to honor God, the, the, the Holy Spirit working in our life. And Scripture tells us that's an ongoing battle inside of us Christians every single day to do what the flesh wants or to do what the spirit wants and sometimes we don't win that battle sometimes we don't do the things that honor god and we end up doing the things that that our sin nature wants and you know what that makes us it makes us two-faced and that's exactly what paul is talking about that as we get into this tonight we, we see different things in our lives for instance don't raise your hand but Maybe some of us in here have lied. Maybe some of us in here have cheated before. Maybe some of us in here have, have stolen before. Maybe some of us in here have lusted before. Maybe some of us in here have worshipped idols before. And you may be thinking, you know what, I've never bowed down to another idol. You're right, but these devices become idols sometimes, don't they? The people that we follow on social media become idols sometimes, don't they? We all fall into that category because we all have things in our lives that cause us to do things that, that feed the flesh, that feed the sin nature. And 
Paul is telling us tonight as we get into Galatians chapter 6 is he's saying, hey, don't be that person. If you say you follow Jesus Christ, if you say you are a disciple, you cannot be two-faced. You cannot say you are following him with everything that you have and on a regular basis chase after everything that your sin nature wants. It doesn't work. And he's warning the Galatians here as he walks through this passage. He shows them what it looks like to live like that. And maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what, I've never lied. That's a lie right there. Or maybe you say, I've never cheated. Well, I'm willing to bet somebody in here has copied somebody else's homework because you forgot to do it at the last minute. Oh, no, 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 no. Hey, can you lean back and lean over just a little bit during our test today so I can see those answers you're filling? No, we don't ever do that kind of thing. Or, or maybe you've seen that guy or that girl and you've let your mind go a little bit farther than it should have gone. Or we spend more time learning about musicians and athletes and different people that we idolize. We spend more time on that than we do learning about God. See, we have all those tendencies. And that's why we have to be aware of them. And that's why we've got to pay attention to what Paul is showing us here in Galatians chapter 5. So before we jump into the passage and somebody comes up and reads it, we're going to walk through the questions. When we study a book, you need to know some basic things about the books of the Bible. So who wrote the book of Galatians? Paul. Thank you for not saying jail. I appreciate that. You're tired, aren't you? I get it. Okay. All right. So Paul wrote it. When when do we understand that it was written? No. Prison? No. Not prison. Wait, who's... Okay, so it, somewhere in that 49 to 55, 54 AD time frame, okay? They don't know the exact year, but it's sometime in there. Who was this written to? Churches in Galatia, not prison. Prison is not going to be the right answer anytime tonight. I can tell you that right now. It was the churches in Galatia. This wasn't just one church. This, these were churches in this southern region. This was a group of different churches. And what is the main idea? Salvation, who said that? Yes, salvation by faith alone. As you walk through this book, you see this idea popping up over and over. And do you remember why he was writing this letter to them? False teachers. Because after he left, false teachers had made their way into the church. And these false teachers, they were teaching the gospel. They were teaching people that they had to put their faith and trust in Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, that he rose from the grave. It's the same gospel that we believe and understand from Scripture right now. But they were also saying there's other things you have to do too. If you really want to be saved, yes, you have to trust Jesus, but you've got to adhere. You've got to, to, to give in to these Old Testament Jewish laws and customs as well if you really want to be saved by Jesus. And what Paul is trying to help them understand is no, it is just salvation by faith alone. It is trust in who Jesus is and what he has done. And he's saying this over and over. We've seen it time and time again as we walk through this book. And we're going to see it again tonight as we walk through this passage. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand, as I always do, in honor of the reading of God's word. And I'm going to ask Miss Liz Steiger, where are you at, Liz? Come on up here and read that passage for us tonight. Let's, let's do, let's do, I don't know if, which wireless mic that is. That's it right there. All right. Miss Liz is going to read verses 13 through 26 for us. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. 
Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. For those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceitful, provoking and envying each other. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for this time of this amazing fellowship and worship. Um, I pray that we would be able to apply what we have learned today, and amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Miss Liz. Y'all give it up for Miss Liz. All right. So we're we're just going to walk through this now. Some of the words that, as I read through the scripture, it's some of the words are going to sound a little bit different, but they've got the same. We've just got two different versions of scripture here. So let's just start in verse thirteen. Here's what it says again. It says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Remember, he's writing to other believers. He's writing to Christians. But he says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So Paul, right here at the very beginning, Paul is telling them, hey, you have freedom in Christ. We've talked about that for the last several weeks. That, that before you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're a slave to sin. That there's nothing you can do to escape the condemnation, the punishment, the consequences of your sin. You cannot get away from it on your own. But when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there's a freedom there, knowing that you have been forgiven of every sin you have ever committed in your life and every sin you will ever commit. It's not like God just took care of the things in your past. When God forgives you of your sin, he takes care of all of it. But you see, some people use that as an opportunity to keep doing things that don't honor God. Because they say, you know what, if God has already forgiven me of everything, then it's okay. I can go ahead and keep sinning. I can go ahead and keep doing the things that don't honor God because God's already forgiven me, right? But scripture tells us that's not how it works. Yes, God has already forgiven you. But if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then God begins to work in you and he changes the desires of your heart. As you pursue him, you begin to pursue the things that honor him. And you begin to turn away from the things that don't honor him. You can't say that you are a Christian, that you are a disciple of Jesus, and habitually over and over and over continue to chase the same sins before the day that you made that decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because it doesn't work that way. That's why he says there, 
don't use your freedom as an opportunity to go back to the things in your life that you know don't honor God. And then he goes on there and he says, this is where the two-faced stuff comes in. He says that we need to, uh, we, uh, the, the, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. He says, hey, if, if, if you're pursuing God, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you're going after him with every part of your life, then you're not going to have time to have all of these problems with other people because you're going to be looking to serve other people. Because guess what? When you're serving other people, who are you focused on, them or yourself? Who said yourself? No, you're not focused on it. If you're serving other people, you're not focused on yourself. You're focused on other people. And if you're focused on other people, you don't have time to stop and think about how someone offended you or how someone hurt you or how someone did something that they shouldn't have done to you and now you get angry and now you get bitter and that starts to take root in your heart and that starts to fester and all of a sudden you don't like that person and you're arguing with that person or you just want to avoid that person altogether. He's saying that's not what we're supposed to do. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. You're supposed to look for opportunities to serve other people. And as he gets into these differences between the, the new and the old nature, you'll see how one of those natures lends itself to serving other people, and the other one lends itself to being self-centered for the rest of your life. In fact, he goes on here, and he says in verses uh, 16 and 17, he says, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are, set, are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. He says, if you have freedom in Christ, you've got to make sure that you are walking with the Holy Spirit as God works in your life. Scripture tells us that the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you. Not You're not like possessed. It's not controlling you, making you do things. But the Holy Spirit of God becomes a part of you. And that is what helps you begin to understand God's Word. That is what helps you begin to understand, hey, these things I'm doing don't honor God. Hey, these other things, these are the things that are going to honor God, and I need to be pursuing those things. You see, remember, we had these false teachers that were coming in, and they were adding these other things to salvation, but those other things are not at all what it was about. And that's why he calls it a struggle between the spirit and the flesh. There's a war there. There's a battle there. And when you become a disciple of Jesus, that battle will wage inside of you until the day that you die. There are some creatures out there that will tell you if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your life is going to be smooth sailing from here on out. You're going to have everything that you need. You're not going to have any problems. Life is going to be great. If you're sitting here tonight and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, whether it was 24 hours ago or whether it was 24 years ago, you know that's a lie. That's not what Scripture tells us. God never promises us smooth sailing. God never promises us a problem-free life. And that's why we know it's a struggle because we're going to have those days where, yes, I want to honor God. I want to follow Him. I want to do the things that He's called me to do. And we're going to have those days that we wake up and think, I don't want anything to do with that stuff. I want to be about me today. I don't want to be about God. And that's why Paul says here that those things are set against each other. It's a war that is raging inside of us. 
but you need to understand that war has already been won. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then God has already won. The Holy Spirit dwells within you, and the Holy Spirit will guide you, and the Holy Spirit will lead you to do and want to do the things that honor God. The problem is, Satan hadn't figured out he's already lost. So he's going to come after your sin nature with everything that he has. And he's going to try to pull you away from God in every possible way that he knows you are weakest. To walk in the Spirit, that means you're following God. It doesn't mean you're perfect. You will never be perfect this side of eternity. None of us will. But it means you are pursuing God with every area of your life and you're seeking to please Him. Walking in the flesh, it means you're focused on you. It means you're not giving your time and your attention and your heart to God. It means you're focusing on what pleases you, what serves you, what matters most to you in the moment. It's the struggle between the flesh and the spirit and it rages inside of you. And then Paul makes this statement in verse 18. He says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. If you are led by the spirit, you belong to God. If you claim Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you're no longer under the law. And if you've paid attention as we've walked through this book, Paul has talked about the law a lot. He's talked about the Ten Commandments. He's talked about the Old Testament law and how the law made us aware of sin. In fact, he talks about this in uh, Romans 7, verses 9 through 12. Let me read this. He says, I, once, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. So it's this idea of there was a point in time in your life where you didn't know what sin was. You didn't know some of the things you were doing that didn't honor God. You didn't know they dishonored God because you didn't know who God was. You didn't know what his word says. And guess what? That, that's that whole phrase of ignorance is bliss. We live that way and we have no problem living that way because we don't really understand what's going on. But then there comes a moment in time where we hear about God. There comes a moment in time where someone shares his word with us. And as soon as we understand that, as soon as we see that, all of a sudden, we understand that we're sinners. All of a sudden, we understand that the things we're pursuing that honor us, that please us, are not always things that honor God. And in that moment, we're condemned by the word of God. And he goes on here, and he says, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. It's the law of God that shows us that we're sinners. It's that same law of God that condemns us to death and eternal separation from God. But it's not a problem with the law. He's, verse 12, he says the law is holy, the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The problem isn't with the law of God. The problem is with us. The problem is that we want the things that don't honor God. The problem is that we don't want God. Scripture tells us before we put our faith and trust in God, before God makes us aware of who he is, Scripture says that our minds are actually set against God. And you may sit here and think, you know what, I've never been against God. Well, Scripture says you have. Until God made you aware of your sin, God began to draw you to himself, your mind was set against God. Well, I've grown up in church my whole life. That's great. Your mind was still set against God. 
That's what Scripture says. But when God made you aware of who He was, and when God called you, and you put your faith and your trust in Him, and you understood in that moment that joy of your salvation, knowing that you've been forgiven of your sin, knowing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, that He rose from the grave, and that God loves you more than anything in all of creation. In that moment, you stepped in. In that moment, you stepped from death to life. And in that moment, you had the opportunity to pursue God and to start walking in the Spirit, to live forgiven and to live free in Christ Jesus. But remember, Paul says, don't abuse that freedom. Don't live in such a way that doesn't honor God just because you know God's already forgiven you. But even in that freedom, that struggle still lingers. You still have the effects of your old sin nature. You still have the things that your mind, that your body, that your heart craves that don't honor God. And what Paul does in these next couple verses is he begins to show us who that person is. It's the old you before Christ. Look at what he says in verse 19. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a sobering thought. Stop for a second and, and just look at this list that apart from Jesus Christ, this is where our natural tendencies drift. If it wasn't for Christ working in your life, this is where your mind, this is where your heart, this is where your desire, this is where our bodies go. In fact, if you go through here, you can actually see this kind of breaks down into some different sections. The first thing here, the first three things he talks about, the sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, those all have to do with sexual sins. It has to do with the fact that God created something for humanity that was supposed to be for enjoyment, that was supposed to create life, that was supposed to create intimacy inside of marriage. And our sin nature has taken God's perfect design and we twisted it and made it something it was never designed to be. And we see that play out in movies and, and TV and on social media and all of these different things. We see how what God designed to be good is completely distorted by our sin natures. That's where our minds and that's where our bodies want to go by nature. Our flesh wants to go down that road instead of living in a way that honors God. And then the next group um, that have to, do with, have to do with worship, idolatry and sorcery. It's this idea of worshiping the creation instead of worshiping the creator. That whole idea of idolatry, whether it be your cell phone, whether it be a person, whether it be a car or money, it's worshiping the creation instead of worshiping the creator. That is what we tend to do. I mean, think about that. If you're given the choice on a regular basis, are you more likely to pick up your phone or your Bible? And yes, I know many of us have our Bible on our phone, but let's be honest, that's probably not what we're looking at most of the time. It's just our natural tendency. I do the same thing. We all do. And that's why he points that out. That's what we do is we devote our time to other things, to worshiping other things instead of worshiping God. 
And then the next eight deal with how we interact with other people. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. When we seek to serve ourselves, these are a natural result in our lives. Because guess who becomes the most important person in the room when we're seeking to serve ourselves? Me. Ourselves. That's exactly right. And all of a sudden, someone does something that offends you. Well, how dare they talk to me that way? Who do they think they are? What right do they think they have to treat me like that? And all of a sudden, you have strife and jealousy and fits of anger and rivalries and dissensions and divisions and envy. This all has to do with how we interact with other people. And lastly, he rounded out here by dealing with issues of losing self-control. He talks about drunkenness and orgies and things like these. Let's just take the first one, for instance, alcohol. When you consume alcohol, it drops your inhibitions. And when you drop your inhibitions, your judgment is impaired. And that can lead to all kinds of problems in your life. And I can tell you that I've seen that play out over and over and over. Does Scripture tell you don't drink alcohol? No, it doesn't say don't drink alcohol. But look at what it does in the lives of the people that you care about. Look at how it changes them. And see, what happens is when you go that route over and over, each time it takes a little bit more to get that buzz, to get that high, for you to feel different than you felt before. And as you continue down that road, you lose your judgment. You lose all of these these, these regular decision-making capabilities you have and you begin to make mistakes. Maybe you begin to do things that you regret. And then you know what? You go back to that same thing because you need to forget about that stuff. And you see how it just becomes a cycle of losing self-control. And that's just one of the examples that he talks about here. Think about all of those things for a minute. Everything that he just listed out here, that is who we naturally are. That is where our minds go. That is where our flesh, that is where our sin nature drifts towards when it's left on its own. That is what you and I look like before Jesus stepped in. But then he shows us the other picture. Look at verse 22. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit in your life. God working in your life. This all of this is, this characterizes what God wants you to be, who he created you to be, who he designed you to be. These are the ways we are intended to act towards each other. When he talks about serving each other, this is how we focus on doing that. And if you look at this, you can see the, the struggle that goes against the old nature versus the new nature. If you've got self-control, then guess what? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, drunkenness, orgies, all of those things, they're not going to be where you live. Because God's put self-control in your life. If, if, if you've got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, all of those things are going to work against our tendencies to be bogged down with enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger and rivalries and dissensions and divisions and envy. Yes, you may still have problems with other people on a regular basis, but those problems can be addressed through the love that God gives you for them instead of addressed through the offense that they made in your life. You see the difference here? 
when God is working in your life, it's working against all of these other things. And, and faithfulness certainly does away with idolatry and sorcery. Because if you're faithful to God, that's where your focus is. That's where your time is. And you don't have time to worship the creation because you're busy worshiping the creator. This is how God works in our lives. And then he goes on in verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul is reminding us right there that the life that we live, the, the, let's put it this way, the nature that we nurture in ourselves is a choice. If you belong to Christ, if you've asked his forgiveness of your sin, what that means is there was a point in time where you made the decision to take your old sinful desiring nature and nail it to the cross because that's exactly what Jesus did. But here's the thing. It's not dead. And it is calling out for you every single day to take it back down and take it back up. We have a choice every single day are we going to pursue Christ and leave that thing nailed to that cross and go after what God has called us to be? Or are we going to turn around and we're going to help it back down and we're going to hang out with it just a little bit longer? It's a choice that we make. That's what he means with that verse. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It means we're not giving that sin nature life again. It means we're turning away from it and we're pursuing Christ every moment of every single day. That's what we're called to do. And it says in the last two verses of this chapter, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Live in step with the Spirit. Some of you in here, you've done ROTC. And you know what it means to be in step with somebody, don't you? When y'all are walking in formation and you're marching along and you're trying to get, and it, I always thought this was the coolest thing watching parades growing up. When you've got all these soldiers walking and all their feet are going side by side and they're moving at the exact same time and hitting the ground and coming in the air. I always thought that was the coolest looking thing. That, that's kind of the picture of what he's talking about here. Because every one of those individuals, they are in sync. They are moving the same direction at the same time and everything is clicking and working together. It says right there, we're supposed to walk step by step with the Holy Spirit. In sync, beside, you're not ahead of God, you're not falling behind God, you're right there with God as He works through the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what we're and every single one of us has the choice every single day. Do you follow God and live as the new you, or do you turn around and run to the old you? And I want to make sure you understand, whatever you have chosen up until this point, this moment, you can choose tonight to stop living after the old you. You can choose to stop giving life to your sin nature. You can choose to stop honoring yourself and pleasing yourself and you can start doing what God has created you to do and that's to know Him, to love Him, to be loved by Him and to walk with Him on a daily basis. You have to make that choice. And it doesn't matter what choice you make until right now. What matters is the choice that you make right now. And in just a minute we're going to stand and we're going to sing 
And if you're in here and you've never made that choice, you've never said, God, I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. God, I know that he rose from the grave and I know that I need to be forgiven and I want to put my faith and trust in him right here, right now. In just a minute when we stand to sing, you don't have to use any special words. You simply ask God to forgive you. That's all you have to do. And he will. But if you make that decision tonight, I want to ask you to come share that with me or share it with a friend next to you or share it with one of the other adults in the room so we can pray for you, so we can pray with you. If you're here tonight and you say, you know what, I've made that decision a long time ago. But you've been taking that sin nature back down on a pretty regular basis. You can make the decision tonight to put it up there and leave it there. Maybe God's showing you things in your life that you need to walk away from. Maybe He's showing you people in your life that you need to walk away from because you know they do not help you honor God. You can make that choice tonight. And if you need somebody to pray with you, we're here to pray with you. If you just want to write it on one of those orange cards and drop it in this basket, the adults in this room will pray for you as you fight that battle on a daily basis. God has called you to walk with Him. God has called you to honor Him in every area of your life. Don't run back to the things that have been wrecked. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your son Jesus and we thank you that we can pursue you through what he has done. And God, I pray that you will help every single one of us in here tonight. God, to stop taking that sin nature down and giving it life. Help us to pursue you. Help us to walk in step with you through the Holy Spirit day by day. Help us to be who you created and called us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.